Welcome to the podcast that takes you back in time to rewind and relive all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling. Get ready to go beyond the bell. With your host, ring announcer, Sean Beckerman. As we come to the conclusion of Season 1 of Beyond the Bell, tonight we will focus in on the moments, gems, matches, and events that made World Championship Wrestling a serious contender and a force to be reckoned with. This first of the two-part edition will cover the greatest gems and some hidden of all time in WCW's illustrious history. For every pinata on a pole, a young stallion named Booker T won the World Heavyweight Championship. For every mini-movie, Trinity, there was a Ric Flair toppling the monster Big Van Vader at Starcade 93. There were so many great moments in WCW that deserve to be recognized, and it's my goal on this edition to recognize these moments that we forever will remember and some we may have forgotten but somehow are deep down remembered in our hearts and souls of why we became WCW fans. Now I know you fans will probably say and I agree that this edition is missing some worthy candidates and I will agree we can't catch them all. These are just some of the greatest gems of all time. I'm not saying it's a top 20, you know, a top 10 or top 5 all time. These are just some of the greatest moments, matches and events for us to relive on the last two editions of season 1 covering WCW. Also, these next two editions will cover only the 1990s. It will not cover any of the pre-90 WCW. And I decided this because Two reasons. One, throughout the 80s in NWA, WCW history, for me, the greatest gems involved Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen. Go back to watch Flair and his band of brothers, styling and profiling, taking on the likes of Dusty Rhodes, Magnum TA, Nikita Koloff, Lex Luger, especially A Man Called Sting, in which we discussed in our previous editions most recently. For me, the greatest gems involved Flair. And the Horsemen, especially the first ever Starcade, leading to the War Games matches in which we discussed thoroughly. So for me, go back and check all the Horsemen and Ric Flair in the 80s for the greatest gems of WCW. And the second reason why is because the 90s, for one decade in the company's history, had so much take place. So many different eras, regimes, and wrestlers slash superstars we saw go in and out of the promotion from Bill Watts to Eric Bischoff with the regime changes that took place different bookers taking over superstars jumping ship from WCW to the WWF and vice versa and then the Monday Night War so so much happened within the decade of the 90s so I thought it would be best to go back to look at some of those greatest gems of that time period that we may have forgotten or to really focus in on because so much happened during that decade in WCW history. So buckle up as tonight in part one we'll cover 
10 of the greatest gems in WCW history. Fight TV, the cross-section of entertainment and technology. Just open the app and it will automatically connect with your smart TV. All you need to do is choose a video and press play. Download the Fight TV app for free from iTunes and Google Play. The Fight TV app is your home for everything that happens in the cage, on the mat, and between the ropes. The Nature Boy Ric Flair saves WCW. In 1993, WCW was in an all-time low. Buy rates and house show revenues bombed big time. Paper champions and inexperienced losers, quote-unquote there, some consider them losers, or inexperienced wannabe stars, or not at that top-level elite main event caliber superstar or competitor, got bigger pushes than the hardworking athletes. Booking was off the wall and inconsistent, to say the least. Prior to Starcade 93, Sid Vicious made his return and was given an immediate main event push to tackle Big Van Vader for the World Championship. Unfortunately for Sid, fate reared its ugly head. In England, Sid and Arn Anderson were in an actual brawl and Sid nearly stabbed Arn to death multiple times with a pair of scissors. The infamous Sid Arn scissor attack. Afterwards, Sid was fired and Vader had no credible challenger to face. He had already beaten Sting, Cactus Jack, Ron Simmons, the British Bulldog, and Ricky Steamboat. So WCW did what they always do in a bad situ- situation. They picked up the phone and called the Nature Boy. In an emotional storyline, Flair would challenge the champion in exchange of putting his career on the line. With that settled, the Starcade main event happened and in a brutal brawl and confrontation in front of Ric Flair's hometown of Charlotte, North Carolina. Flair clipped Vader's legs and rolled him up to win the WCW Championship. When he won the title, Ric Flair was given a role as head booker where he would push Steve Austin, Sting, Ricky Steamboat, and Arn Anderson to semi-main event status. Although it didn't save WCW financially since it lost nearly $20 million due to a series of controversial blunders, it was enough to convince fans to stay loyal to the product as the wrestling quality went I think significantly higher than previously, and the rise of promising stars such as Steve Austin, and at the time Johnny B. Bad, it gave a better glimpse of hope for the future of the company. As a result, WCW seemed rejuvenated and was ready to embark on a new dynasty that secured a golden age in its legacy which was a couple years to come. After becoming world champion, winning the Royal Rumble in 1992, being partnered with Bobby Heenan and Mr. Perfect, squaring off against the likes of Hulk Hogan. Unfortunately, they didn't have that WrestleMania match, but taking on the Hulkster regardless, you know, feuding, uh, teaming with The Undertaker at one point, feuding with the Macho Man Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth, etc. Having a successful year in the WWF, 
but made a huge decision to leave the company after that year and re-sign with WCW. And WCW did hurt, I think, in my opinion, that year without the Nature Boy. And this Vader Flair storyline, in my eyes, was one of the best in WCW's history because I was invested. I remember me as being a little kid. I was around, I think, 10 years old, around 10, 11. Yeah, I think 11, maybe even going on to 12, 11, 12, where I couldn't wait to watch the WCW pay-per-view, to watch these two battle. Typically, WCW pay-per-views, for me, I always like to watch them, but I, was, I wasn't really gung-ho or ex- excited all day to put on the pay-per-view. Usually, it's, oh, great, another night I can watch wrestling. Excellent. For me, the WWF was it, especially in the early 90s with the product WCW had. You know, they weren't setting the world on fire. But I remember I could not wait to see Flair versus Vader. Seeing Ric Flair back in a WCW ring. And then eventually winning the title in a great match. The tears coming down his eyes, family watching. But it did seem a little weird with Ric Flair holding the new version of the WCW world title. As the big gold belt was still in transition from coming back from the WWF. To back to WCW, in which Flair stole the title from WCW, bringing it on to WWF Television, being known as the Real World's Champion, and now the Big Gold Belt was wanted to come back to the company, known as the International Title, which Rick Rude had, and now the WCW title was changed and redesigned. It looked weird seeing Ric Flair hold that title, known as the WCW Championship, and not being the Big Gold Belt. But nevertheless, a great feud between Big Van Vader and the Nature Boy Ric Flair as, quite possibly, WCW could have been in even bigger trouble in the early 90s and especially in 93 if Ric Flair had not come back to the promotion. Who knows what would have happened? They could have folded eight years earlier if the Nature Boy didn't come back to quote-unquote save WCW the big question in the minds of millions all over the world. Will you prevail two weeks from this Monday night at Starcade when you meet the WCW heavyweight champion, Vader? You know, there are times in my life when I want to cry because people don't believe. 18 years ago, a plane crashed. One man died. Two are paralyzed for life, and one went on to become the world champion ten times. Respect for that? No, says Vader, the 400-pound, awesome, physical specimen, the greatest athlete they say in our sport. Well, that's great. I just broke down. I got nowhere to go. I'm old lonesome Ric Flair. You want to know why? I compare myself to Montana because my five-year-old boy says, Daddy, you're the greatest. Well, that's all I need. I don't need you to love me, respect me, even know where I live or what I'm about. But there's 30 million wrestling fans out there that have seen me bleed, sweat, and pay the price for one word. That word was and is 
respect in being what you are. And every day of my life, all I want to be is the best. So Starcade, it was me and Dusty Rhodes. It was me and Briscoe. It was me and Funk. It was me and Race. It was me and Von Eric. God rest his soul. The common denominator and all those great matches was me. So Vader, yeah, I'm emotional. Shout out to my hometown, brother. But we're talking about the world title. We're talking about what I have lived, breathed, and wanted to be from day one. And that's the best. So Starcade, I'll walk that aisle. I'll style and I'll profile. And with tears of my eyes, if you want me, you're going to have to take me, baby. All right. Woo! Thank you to Jesse Devani Ventura for the Nature Boy, Fifi, for Tony Schiavone, Mean Gene Sam, next week, TV Boy, and Rick Rude right here. Have a good one. So long, everybody. Booker T and Chris Benoit's Best of Seven series. One of the most well-sounded and athletic feuds in WCW's falling run was the Best of Seven series between the crippler Chris Benoit and Booker T. Coming off his feuds with Raven and Diamond Dallas Page, Benoit was the best technical wrestler in WCW and was booked in a succession of seven matches against Booker T, where the one that wins the most matches will get a title shot at the TV title that was won by Fit Finley. So this best of seven wasn't resulting in a championship. It was a shot for a championship. For me, I liked it because it brought a sports-like feel to a storyline, to the promotion. This feud was fantastic. A great rivalry. Not only because it gave some of the most intriguing wrestling matches in WCW, but it also turned Booker T from a solid tag team performer to a great singles competitor in a matter of just two months. With each wrestler gaining wins over each other on pay-per-view, Nitro, and Thunder, the outcome on who would come on top was unpredictable. Their final match was at the Great American Bash of 1998, which was actually the eighth match between the two since an angle involving Bret Hart caused an eighth match an eight and decisive final contest between the two Booker won a 16 minute some consider a four and a quarter star classic with a top rope missile dropkick and became the television champion the first of several titles to come I suggest going back to check out the Benoit Booker matches. I know it's hard to to watch Benoit matches these days, especially with we know what happened with him. But if you could look, separate the man from just the wrestler, and just look at the quality of the matches, tremendous. And it was used ten years later, over ten years later, a decade and a half later, between Sheamus and Cesaro, the best of seven series which resulted, again, they wound up tying each other and eventually led to them forming a tag team in which they're, to the date of this recording, still a tag team together. And it all culminated with the Best of Seven series. The Benoit Booker Best of Seven matches really solidified that concept in modern-day professional wrestling. 
I've been told I got all the time I want. So I'm gonna try not to rush myself. First of all, on behalf of my whole family and everybody back in Calgary, we want to thank all the wrestling fans all around the world that have sent their love and their support and their condolences. It's meant a lot to myself. It's meant a lot to my family. And it was very, very much appreciated. The WCW has been really kind to me in the last few weeks. And they've allowed me to take all the time that I want to collect myself. I wanted to say a few words about my brother Owen. He wasn't just your average wrestler. He was a wonderful human being. You know, so many wrestling fans watch him on TV every day, but they never really got close to him sometimes but then again there's a lot of fans that did get to know him and a lot of a lot of the wrestlers got to know him and I don't think there's anybody that could say a bad thing about him anywhere he was my closest brother we never had an argument we never raised our voices with each other once. We were friends. We were close from the time that he was in diapers. And I take a lot of... I take a lot of uh, pride in knowing how well he had turned out. Eric Bischoff talked to me and he asked me if I'd come back on July 5th and at least come and explain how I felt about things. And I thought maybe I'd be ready to talk about things when I got here. But the truth is, is that I'm really having a hard time deciding on what I want to do with, with my career and probably my life. I've lived for wrestling, and my family has lived for wrestling, and we've died for wrestling. And I'm at a funny little crossroads where I look at wrestling, pro wrestling, and I go, I don't know what else there's left for me to do anymore in wrestling. Maybe it's time for me to move on and try to accomplish something else in another field or do something else. I think of Wayne Gretzky and I think of Elway and I, you know, I think of uh, all these guys that are retiring in 1999. And when I think of those people, they all, when they got to hang it up, they were all so happy.
And I look at myself. It sucks. I tell myself on one hand that it's not fair for me to end my career on a tragedy, on a bad note. Nobody wants to prove more in wrestling than I do. I've given my whole life to it. But the truth is, I just don't know. I really don't know. I swear to God, I do not know. I've always tried to give you my best. I'm happy, despite everything that happened, with the way my career and my life have turned out. But I'm going to take some time, and I'm going to think about everything, and I'll put everything in perspective. But if I never get the chance to ever say it again, I just want to thank all the fans everywhere that I ever had, that I still have. You've been with me from the, from the very start. And if this is the last chance that I ever get a chance to talk to all the wrestling fans all around the world, thank you very, very much. I want to thank all the wrestlers in the dressing room, all the wrestlers in dressing rooms all around the world. It was a pleasure to work with each and every one of you. I hope I wasn't too stiff. And that's about it. Thank you very much. The Owen Hart Memorial match, for me, one of my fondest moments and most remembered and heartfelt moments in WCW history. Some would even say even all of professional wrestling, all promotions, especially on WCW Monday Nitro. The death of Owen Hart in Kansas City will go down as one of wrestling's greatest tragedies. Rather, it was the right or wrong move for Vince McMahon to continue the show after the, you know, really after this unforeseeable tragic event is debatable but regardless of what one thinks Owen Hart did not deserve what had happened of course no one does such a tragic event in one man's life and a really a black mark in professional wrestling Owen Hart was not only an outstanding wrestler but he was considered a great husband a wonderful father of two children a likable person in the in the locker room and the youngest of Stu and Helen's Hart clan. It's worse when you consider that his death occurred by accident, you know, on live pay-per-view television in the WWF. It was a miserable time for wrestling fans, and nobody close to Owen could ever really get over the tragedy, even to this very day. Saddened by the death of his younger brother, Bret the Hitman Hart asked Owen's close friend, Chris Benoit, to wrestle at Kansas City on an edition of Nitro really to pay tribute to the King of Hearts. Benoit agreed in October of 1999, after former NWA heavyweight champion Harley Race, in such a classy manner, introduced both wrestlers to the ring, the two men wrestled in a match that could only be described as a masterpiece. This match was, some would say flawless, a competitive old-school wrestling match, in homage to the late, great Owen Hart. For 30 minutes, Brett and Benoit put on a wrestling clinic. You know, Not seen since Blanco and Guerrero, their battles in ECW. And when it was over, the fans gave both men a standing ovation for their outstanding performance. To some, the match is, to this day, 
highly and deservedly herald as one of the top five best wrestling matches in WCW history. The emotion alone made this match so special and one of the greatest gems in WCW history. Really powerful match. Really emotional. Hard to, hard to even, you know, it's only almost hit a bit of a soft spot even just thinking about it because I haven't thought about it for a while. He was um, always a very good friend of Owens. And when I, I came up with the idea, it's only, only, I think the only actual idea they ever did listen to me and let me do, and let me do freely. Uh, if I'd had my way, we would have gone, wrestled an hour. <laughs> A great on the whole show, and just that they, they said no, they couldn't do that, which is why not? Right, three hours of two, two hours. Take out another 45 minutes of that other horse shit that you, that doesn't mean anything anyway, and just put us on for but they, anyway. We, we, uh, he was really touched by the idea. Uh, for whatever it's worth, I had insisted originally that I put him over, uh, and then. I believe it was Chris and and everyone else insisted otherwise. They, they felt and so I I wasn't gonna. It wasn't anything. It wasn't about winning and losing. So, but I don't want anyone to think that I that I was pushing my supposed ego up again. But I, I loved it. I loved it for the everything it was. I think it was the last real wrestling match in the business. It was just me. It was the it was the um, in some ways almost like the tombstone on wrestling. You don't you don't see wrestling that any like that anymore. I, what I love about that match is this, I've talked about it a few times, but I remember there's a certain point in that match where you're watching it, and people are sitting there like they always like they used to. Old time wrestling fans. These fans aren't educated to wrestling anymore like they used to be. But they're sitting there, and it builds, and then there's a party who's saying, "Oh, geez, I hope this picks up a bit, or the fans get behind." And it's starting to like. And I didn't. Neither one of us ever thought that. But you can see when you're watching it the next day. That the fans are sitting and sometimes they're talking to each other and it's like there's, the, the interest isn't quite there. And then there's a certain point, like about eight or ten, twelve minutes into it, you see people kind of starting to lean into it. And then you see them about the twenty-minute mark; they're like on the edge. It's right. like they're so into it. And then the place is, and, and that that's that's a great story. And uh, that's what wrestling is supposed to be. You take them from there all the way up to there. It's not supposed to be here at this level from the time you ring the bell to the time it ends. And, and it was magic to, to, to be able to do that without chairs, without no, it's just all fire, high and yeah. blowtorch, and a cannon, and a yeah. spray gun, and all that kind of stuff. I uh, love the fact that I got to work with Chris. I thought Chris did a lot to make me look good, just so everyone knows. I, I've been off a long time. Before New Japan and Ring of Honor combined to sell out Madison Square Garden, AAA and New Japan combined their superstars to join WCW as the cruiserweight division would emerge. In the early 1990s, WCW was emerging as a considerable threat against the World Wrestling Federation. What better way for WCW to show their alternative lifestyle and alternative brand... Then, by providing the perfect counterpart to the WWF's big, heavy, bulky, strong superstars. They provided short, less muscular, high-flying, but technically sound wrestlers. Although, WCW 
had its light heavyweight division and had already been around with, with the likes of Brian Pillman and Jushin Thunder Liger, which they feuded with each other in 91 through 92. The division was greatly popularized when WSW pulled off the, some would say, signing of the decade in which they signed some of the best wrestlers from Mexican and Japanese promotions in 1994 and 1995. Back in 94, Mexican promotion AAA had reached its golden year peak with the When Worlds Collide show, which was presented by AAA but promoted in conjunction with WCW. Bischoff may have made a lot of mistakes, but he deserves credit in helping AAA secure a show on an American pay-per-view as the show introduced the high-flying Lucha Libre style to American wrestling fans. The strong reviews itself and its great popularity featured superstars such as Juventud Guerrera, Rey Mysterio, and Psychosis. It would really create a different entity, a different genre of wrestling within World Championship Wrestling. Similarly, New Japan Pro Wrestling had working agreements with WCW and Japanese wrestlers such as Jushin Thunder Liger, um, Shinjiro Otani, you know, Kensuke Sasaki, just to name a, a couple, in which where they were given ch- a chance to really shine in WCW, most notably at Star K95 in the appropriately titled When Worlds Collide event. Although most Japanese wrestlers returned to their home country, the Mexican Lucha Libre style and Japanese wrestling Really, their, their styles intrigued many fans and fans who were grown tired of seeing the big, bulky, slow stars like Mabel, you know, Diesel, and of course, Psycho Sid. They turned over to watch Nitro, to watch these superstars perform. At that point, Bischoff had reestablished the light heavyweight division and renamed it as the cruiserweight division. Such a smart idea, rebranding it getting rid of the light heavyweight name and labeling the quick, fast-paced cruiserweight division title. And some feel, and I, I agree as well, that along with the NWO, the cruiserweight division was one of the main factors in contributing immensely to the popularity of WCW. And it all started with AAA and New Japan Pro Wrestling joining forces to move some of their great stars over to WCW in the early 90s. This edition of Beyond the Bell is brought to you by the High Spots Wrestling Network, the largest collection of videos in independent wrestling today. We fast forward to the dying days of WCW. Even though it's hard to say there were great gems during the last few months and year of WCW, there was the Vince Russo era in which we saw Vince Russo screw over Hulk Hogan. In an era where a C-list celebrity actor won the WCW world title and Mexican wrestlers competed to grab pinatas on a pole, WCW was going down the tubes faster than anyone would have imagined. Throughout Vince Russo's disastrous booking debacle, every mistake that was made completely diminished the company's fan base. A stiff, well-balanced brawler Named Mike Awesome becomes a character that dons a 70s style persona. Goldberg becomes a bad guy in which a, in a turn that many people saw as a complete failure. One of WCW's most prominent leaders, Sting, is put into a storyline in which 
we would see a stuntman be set on fire and feuding with Vampiro. A steroid-induced China ripoff wins the Cruiserweight title. The diminished usage of Nature Boy Ric Flair. These blunders really drove WCW even lower to eventually placing them out of business. But perhaps the one thing that no one could ever see coming was Vince Russo doing something most employees would never have the guts to do. Fire Hulk Hogan on public television. Hulk Hogan was utilizing his creative control to ensure another world title reign, but Vince wanted to keep Jeff Jarrett as the strong champion. So straight out of Halloween Havoc 1999, at Bash at the Beach 2000, Russo ordered Jeff Jarrett to lay on his back and have Hulk Hogan place his foot on top of him for the title win. Hogan was in, he was out. Uh, it, was a, it was a real unique thing. The Bash at the Beach experience took place, which was a complete disaster on all parts. Uh, the, just the whole company was in disarray, and it was the system once again. You can't point your finger at any one individual because leadership starts at the top and stops at the top. And if there is no leadership, there's no way. You can't push a company forward. You've got to lead by example. Hogan, Jeff, that match went on. And uh, Hogan was presented the title. And he walked away with the title. Vince Russo gave a real touching, uh, heartfelt speech. You know, everybody really, really uh, was really off into it. And uh, they brought out another belt, brought the old belt out, Ric Flair wore with the big bend in the top of it, which was a, a tradition for me. And uh, Jeff came out and we just went out in the middle of that ring and for about 20, 25 minutes we just wrestled. And it was uh, probably the uh, best night of my life, you know. And, it was all because of Jeff, because um, Jeff is a true professional. I think if it was anyone else in that position that night, um, perhaps I never would have became Russo champion. came yeah. back a couple of matches later, buried Hulk on network, on pay-per-view, I should say, television, and declared that a new world champion would be crowned between Jeff Jarrett and Booker T. At the main event of the, ma of the event, Booker pinned Jarrett to win the title what was perhaps the happiest moment in 2000 for WCW. Booker T finally became world champion, something new, a new star, was world champion in the company. As for Hogan, whether it was a shoot or work, he never showed up in WCW ever again. If you want to hear more from the Eric Bischoff side of things around this time frame, I think they discussed it discussed this most recently in the 83 Weeks podcast with Conrad Thompson and Eric Bischoff. You can check online as well. Hulk Hogan made comments about this situation. Vince Russo has publicly made comments about this situation. Tony Schiavone discussed it on his podcast, What Happened When, with Conrad Thompson as well. So this has been discussed, especially recently, but some would say this is one of the greatest moments because it was real and it was something that people weren't expecting. Hulk Hogan be told off on pay-per-view television. Now to Hulk Hogan's latest battle. The wrestler who helped transform the sport into a multi-million dollar industry claims he's being run out of the ring. We went to Hulk's home to find out why. Les Trent with the story. For 20 years and counting, when it comes to wrestling, the Hulk's been the man. What? But even though he kicks butt in the ring, in real life, Hollywood Hulk Hogan is, well, sad. I never 
really took the time to get to know me. At 46, the granddaddy of wrestling says he's being squeezed out of the ring, written out of the world champion wrestling storyline by two writers. That's right, kids. Wrestling is scripted, just like a soap opera, only sweatier. They never even gave me a chance to sit down and throw things around, throw ideas around. They just basically came in and said, well, you know, Hulk, we've got uh, no creative ideas for you, so uh, catch you down the road. Hmm. But Hulk's been down this road before. In November 98, he went on the Jay Leno show with a big announcement. I want to come on your show tonight and officially announce my retirement. Just 39 days later, the gladiator was back in the ring. Hogan is like a man possessed. Which makes you wonder, since wrestling is scripted, is this exit just another plot twist? On that point, the Hulkster is vague. It's going to be real interesting to see where this ends up. The WCW won't confirm Hogan's off the payroll, saying only, quote, they value his contribution. But Hulk's sticking to his story that the writers are making way for a new generation of stars like Goldberg. His boys! By giving old Hulk the boot. Oh, Hogan's in major trouble here, fans. With his wrestling future on the ropes, Hogan and his outspoken wife, Linda, are taking a timeout in their Hulkmania-filled Florida mansion. They could have paid more respect to the man that built the business. That man may be approaching 50, but Hogan insists he's still got the guns for the game. He continues to work out every day and says if he goes, he won't go quietly. This is just round one of the battle. It's not the, the, the final knockout punch. So they're in for a, a pretty good brawl here. Don't mess with Hulk. He says if he does get axed, he might become a manager for his son. Nine-year-old Nick Hogan wants to follow in his dad's footsteps and become a wrestler someday. What happened there, well, it was, there was a couple things that happened there. Um, one, my, my father had just passed away right before that. And so that was, you know, it is what it is. And we've all... We will all go through that, those of us that haven't. But it was a, it was a tough time for me. And we had, I think the pay-per-view was the day after my father's funeral. And I had to fly from Minneapolis into wherever it was, Daytona Beach, I think is where it was. But I had to fly in there. And because of, the, because of that, I got in late. But it was a funeral. And I, I think I instead of getting in at 10 in the morning, I ended up getting in at 1 in the afternoon. And I had asked everyone to hold off on the production meeting until I got there and that I would be in at approximately the time I got in. Well, I got to the building and I walked in and the production meeting was already taking place. That was my first red flag. And then, of course, pulled everybody out of the meeting and or Vince and everybody and said, what are we doing here? And Vince had his idea of what he wanted to do and I had my idea of what I wanted to do. And Hulk and, Hulk and I had our idea of what we wanted to do and we'd already talked to Brad Siegel about it, and that was the way the situation, that was the, the process. You know, Vince could come up with ideas, but we had to both agree, and if we didn't, then Brad Siegel was the tiebreaker. And it involved Hulk, and Hulk had creative control. So I was a little pissed off just to start off with, but I didn't sell it. I didn't show it to anybody, um, I don't think. And anyway, I pulled Vince aside, and we started talking, and Hulk got involved, and Vince kind of drew a line in the sand, and, and I was happy that he did. And I said, okay, great. Let's go into the, uh, let's go into the trailer, get on the phone. We'll call Brad Siegel. We'll see what we're going to do. Called Brad Siegel, laid everything out. Vince laid everything out. Brad said, Vince, you're going to go, do what Eric and Hulk want to do. And I don't remember the details of the story, so please don't ask. But 
it, it involved Hulk leaving the building with the belt. Okay. Because the idea, I remember specifically how it was supposed to end, but the idea was that Hulk was going to quit, leave with the belt. We were going to create a, okay, we've got to create a new champion. It was going to be a heel that comes out at Halloween Havoc. And instead of having that match with the heel, that's when Hulk, uh, the heel and whatever the babyface was, Hulk was going to be like, uh, 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 as a surprise. Right. And we're going to do that match. So that, that was some version of that, more finely tuned, but that was the idea. And everybody liked that. And after having had the conflict with, with Vince, after having had the conference call with the president of the network, we all agreed what we were going to do. Part of that storyline was when Hulk got pissed off and left, he left the building and I left with him. And we did. And we got into a car and then we got into a, a plane, a private jet. And we were flying home because we had laid everything out the way we wanted it laid out for the most part. And we did our job. Our job was to get the car and leave the building. We right. wanted people to believe it was real. By the time we landed in Tampa, which was uh, about an 18-minute flight, by the time we landed, our phones were blowing up because Russo grabbed the microphone and went into business for himself, which was not a part of the script whatsoever. And then that's when the wheels completely fell off. Do you think uh, Hawk was right in suing? Yeah. Yeah. If I could have, I would have. Were you shocked when uh, Brad didn't side with you and against Russo? He did side with Yeah, me. that's what I meant. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I wasn't shocked at all. Regardless if you liked the angle or the shoot or not, whether you think it was a work, like Shivani thought it was a work from head to toe until you know, Russo told him otherwise, people still would argue it was still a work to this very day. Even though Hulk Hogan did pursue legal action against WCW, but regardless of what you think, whether it was real or not, it was one of the greatest moments in WCW history. We had something we were building for in December, which was Flair. Russo had his own agenda, <clears throat> and uh, actually John Laurinaitis came to my house and said, "Here's Plan A, you know, yeah. and here's Plan B. But this is what I'd like to see. I'd like to see you drop the you know." Laurinaitis mm -hmm. had his spin on it. And uh, when, once I saw what, you know, where Russo was going, I said, well, you know, this is getting to be kind of a tense situation. So I did something I've never done. You know, I called my attorney. I said, go ahead and send uh, WCW and Eric Bischoff and Vince Russo and everybody involved, you know, just a little message that I will be telling everybody what the finish is, mm -hmm. you know. And so we got there to Daytona and uh, we probably talked for four or five hours, you know, back and forth. And. Russo kept coming back to the trailer and with all different ideas. I said, no, man, I'm just going to go ahead and drop the leg and beat Jeff, and then I'm going to move forward to Flair, and we're going to go along the plans that we've got for Starcade, I think it was, yeah. or whatever it was. And uh, that's when they pulled that little stunt, mm -hmm. laid down, wouldn't wrestle, and then after I left the building, they came out with another belt and did the whole spiel. But that's probably, uh, that's probably one of the first times anything like that's ever been done in the business well let, let's begin with <clears throat> let's begin with the idea of Booker becoming the champion okay we had a creative meeting and there was it was it was a full house that day there was probably eight to ten people okay and I remember you know sitting there saying if we would put the belt on anybody in the company who would it be
okay? Unanimous around the table Booker T, which really pissed me off because, again, the frivolous lawsuits. Did I say that word right? Frivolous. Frivolous lawsuits. Uh -huh. Well, part the, the reason we put the belt on a black guy was because of the law. Everyone in that room, and I'm sitting there, and I'm head of creative, and I'm like, then that's, <laughs> it's Booker T. What, 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 what are we doing? It's Booker T, okay? So now I write the pay-per-view, okay? Johnny Ace, okay? Had, I, I think Hogan had a match with, did he have a match with Steiner or... It's some kind of a match, Jeff. I, I don't. I don't remember what the setup was. Okay, but I remember that I think Jeff was the champion, but Jeff was having a match with Hogan first before. But I, I don't. I don't remember what the setup was. But anyway, I remember Hulk had a match, and he had a match against Jeff, and I knew in my mind Hogan was going to want to win the belt. Okay, and I knew in my mind everybody in that room agreed that Booker is going to be the champion. Booker is going to be the champion. Okay, and my philosophy was I don't care <coughs> if Hulk Hogan looks like King Kong, I don't care if he puts Jeff in the hospital, I don't care if Steiner does a run and he puts Scott in the hospital, I don't care. All I care about is he's not leaving with the belt. That's all I care about. Whatever he's got to do, he can, uh, we'll send 50 people out for him to kill. He's not leaving with the belt, okay? So now <clears throat> I write the, the script. Johnny Ace has to present it to Hogan, okay? Johnny Ace presents it to Hogan. Johnny Ace reports back to me. Hogan hates it. Okay, no problem. I say to myself, you're not winning the belt. So now I doubled the chaos. I mean, he, he was King Kong. He was going to slay the world, okay? Johnny Ace presents it to him. I get a call back from Johnny Ace. Hogan read the script. He's good with it. We're good to go. This is Friday. It's pay-per-view Sunday. Mm -hmm. We're good to go. Okay, no problem. Everybody's happy. They have their match. Hulk kills everybody. We get to the end of Jarrett. Booker, mm -hmm. okay? Walk into the pay-per-view that day, okay? A couple of hours pass, okay? Eric comes up to me, <coughs> Vince, you've got you, to go in the trailer and talk to Hogan. He's not going to do the match. And I'm like, what? two days ago, I got a call from Johnny Ace that he agreed to do this match. What are you talking about? He's not going to do the match. Now, what I found out later through depositions and whatnot is very late on Friday, okay, Hogan's attorney sent the facts to the office, because remember, Hulk had control, creative control, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. sent the facts to the office after hours that Hogan wasn't going to do the match. So that fax comes into the office. Nobody's at the office to get the fax. So it, you know, it, it was sent after hours. So now I'm like, what are you talking about? So now I've got to go into the trailer and talk to Hogan, and I get the old, this doesn't work for me, brother. Okay? So I'm like, okay, Hulk, what works for you? Okay? So his exact words to me were, well, brother, if this is real, 
If this were really real, this, that, and the other thing would happen, and again, he leaves with the, he'd win the belt. Now, keep in mind, while he's pitching me, in my mind, I'm saying, you're not leaving with the belt, more than anything, because of Booker. I was saying, Booker, everybody said Booker deserves his belt. Booker is leaving the building tonight with the belt. That was, that's not changing, okay? So while he's pitching me his idea, I'm thinking on my feet because I know I've, I've, got to, I've got to counteract this. I've got to get him in that ring, but he can't win this belt, okay? So I said, so I, I used his words back on him. I said, if this were real, you want to know how this thing would really work? And he goes, how? And I said, I'll tell you how this was really, would really work. I come into your trailer. You tell me that, you know, you're not going to do the job for Jeff Jarrett and you want to go over in the match and you want to win the belt, okay? From the trailer, I, if this were real Hulk, now this is what would happen. I would go to Jeff and I would say, Jeff, I'm sorry. He doesn't want to do the job for you. We have to put him over. I said, Jeff Jarrett is going to be pissed. Jeff Jarrett is going to cut a promo. Jeff Jarrett is going to be despised. So I said, and you know what I would do, Hulk? I would say, you know what, Jeff? You're right. Screw him. I said, lay down in the middle of the ring. Let him freaking cover you. One, two, three. Let's stick it up his backside. Let him win the belt that way. I said, that's what would really happen, bro. You, if you want to know, you know, what's real, brother, that's real. I swear to you, while I'm laying this out to him, his eyes are getting wider and wider, like, oh, that's good, that's good, that's good, okay? So now here's the kicker. I say to him, Hulk, you, you know, we, we do the thing with Jeff, okay? I said, now you and Eric have to leave the building in a huff, cutting a promo on me to all the boys in the back. That son of a bitch. Ba, 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 ba. You have to leave the building because I have to go back out to the ring later on, okay, and cut a scathing promo on you. If you're in the building, you'd come out and kill me. <laughs> so as a shoot, you guys got to leave. I cut a scathing promo on you telling you, screw you, take your belt, go home, the whole nine yards, and booking the match with Jeff and Booker for the title. Hogan looks at me and he goes, yeah, brother. He goes, then I'd have one title and Booker would have the other title and then we could do something with that. <laughs> and I basically said, well, yeah, you know, we can figure that out because I just want to make tonight yeah. happen. I'm, I'm not, of course. I don't, you know, we could figure you that out. Eric, I'll get back to you. Yeah. No, well, I, I wasn't going to do that, though, really. I just, I wanted to fix tonight, and then I could worry about mm. what we were going to do, you know. We agree to do that. Okay? We agree to do that. I go out just as planned. I tell Jeff, bro, he don't want to do the job for you. Okay. Jeff. I never seen Jeff so mad in my freaking life, okay? Jeff doesn't know it's a work. Right. Oh, wow. he, he doesn't know. He's pissed. Jeff goes out there believing I'm laying down for ho He thinks this is a shoot. So basically, Jeff goes out there, does it, okay? Hogan and Bischoff leave, 
Okay, I'll never forget, man. I go in the back and there's Jimmy Hart. I'm playing this up. Jimmy, what did you want me to do, huh? He didn't want to do a job. Your boy, I'm playing this up. What do you want me to do, Jimmy? What am I supposed to do, right? Sure enough, I go back, I cut the promo, rebook the match between Jeff and Booker. Booker leaves with the belt, okay? From what I'm thinking, we're all on the same page, okay? Now, after the match, okay, I'm getting all the comments of what everybody is saying on the internet, okay? They bought into the, into the angle hook, line, and sinker. Russo finally put Hogan in his place. Somebody finally, they bought this freaking thing, hook, line, and sinker, okay? Now, here's where I made a mistake, okay? When Hulk said to me, yeah, then I'll have a belt, Booker, I'll have a belt, I said, I said yeah, we, you know, we, we, we can discuss that later. I said to Hulk, I'll call you tomorrow, okay? We had a show the next day, okay? We, we you know, because we had, you know, Nitro and then Thunder, mm -hmm. we had a show the next day. I didn't call Hulk the next day. Now, Hulk's sitting at home reading all this crap. Russo finally put Hogan in his place. Now, Hulk's, Hulk's thinking, I got one up on him because I, I told him I would call and I didn't call, mm -hmm. okay? But the reason why I didn't call was I met with um, Brad Siegel, okay? Who, and Brad Siegel said, Vince, what happened? I laid out the whole scenario to Brad Siegel. You know, and so Brad said to me, well, what are you going to do with Hogan now? And I said, Brad, honestly, I don't know, but I do know I told him I was going to call him today. Okay. Brad Siegel told me at that point, Vince, don't call him. We can't afford to put Hulk on the show. We, we, we can't put him on the show. It's costing us too much. Leave it alone. Don't call him. This is from Brad Siegel now. I mean, the head, the head of all, honestly, I still should have called him because I gave the guy my word. Yeah. I told the guy, I will call you tomorrow. Regardless of what Brad said, I should have called him. I didn't call him. So now he's reading all this stuff on the Internet. I don't call him to add insult to injury. The next thing I know, defamation of character lawsuit. He never knew I was going to cut the promo in the ring, and we're off to the races. Hole number two. Armbar, the paragon of virtue, our role model, the victim of conspiracy, the man of 1,004 holds, Chris Jericho. Jericho may be a lame face or a stale heel at any given points of his career, but the man knows how to reinvent himself. And he takes from being lame or stale to becoming the hottest thing in professional wrestling. It never fails. Jericho does it every time. And it, start, and it really started at this point in WCW. Back in 1998, he was one of the best heels at the time. And no one was even expecting it. From the white meat baby face, smiling, kissing babies, having the fans hug him after wins... Jericho, after losing consecutively, became a crybaby and throwing David Pinzer around and 
smashing the post with a chair. He was so funny when he turned into this heel character that if The Rock would have seen his heel promos at the time, maybe The Rock would have been in his own words. Jericho was just that good. A welcome relief from the stale NWO factions, Jericho proved that little guys can be given an opportunity to be great bad guys as he provided entertaining moment after moment such as stealing gimmick items and masks from his defeated opponents, insulting the participants of the Cruiserweight Battle Royal at Slamboree, saying, like, Kidman needs a bath, he can't afford a mask, you know, he, so he just uses paint instead. I don't even care about this match from El Paso, Mexico, or for Super Calo, you notice this guy's hat never comes off. This guy used to be a great bartender. You can go on and on. He had such great quotes that night. And of course, insulting Bill Goldberg by claiming to hold a 3-0 record. The infamous midget segment at Fall Brawl was classic. You know, some would say their personal favorites, including mine, was when Chris Jericho took the mic during his feud with Dean Malenko when he beat Marty Jannetty. He had a long, long list to show that he knows more holds than Dean Malenko, who Malenko really considered to be the man of a thousand holds. But Jericho made fun of him by proclaiming himself to be the man of 1,004 holds. And he spent five minutes literally naming these holds over and over. It even went through a commercial break. It was innovative at the time. It seemed so cool and out of WCW's norm. He would list holds such as arm drag, arm bar, moss cover three-handed family gridunzo, arm bar, Jericho screwdriver, arm bar, spinning nerve hold, shooting star stable superplex, arm bar. You notice a pattern here? Today, Jericho's wrestling career has been really amazing. It's hard to even put into words. From going to New Japan Pro Wrestling recently, revitalizing his character, becoming IWGP Intercontinental Champion at his age, performing at the level at his age. If you look back at it, really, the first ever list of Jericho was the list of the 1,004 holds that he carried during this era in WCW. Throughout his entire career, Jericho knows how to reinvent himself. And he knew at this early stage of his career that he needed to reinvent himself from that white meat baby face that was bland to the entertaining heel that he became, which eventually led him to signing with the World Wrestling Federation, in which his career never, ever became the same again. Okay, I don't know if I have to pick this apart much. We saw the sign. That was not Goldberg's dressing room back there. We know that Goldberg is not here. Who are you? trying to fool here this week first of all brian we love you come back soon second of all you know as well as i know that goldberg is here you saw me knocking on his private dressing room door he never answered you saw me waiting in the parking lot he never showed up goldberg you are not the indestructible madman that everyone thinks you are you're not the invincible maniac that everyone says you are to me You're just another guy who got into this business way too easily. You've been given way too much in way too short of a time. You're not indestructible. Heck, you're not even gold. You're just green. 
So Greenberg, come out here and let me give you what all these Jericho-holics want me to give you, and that's a first-class butt-whipping. Come on, Goldberg, introduce him, Skiavone. I'm introducing the man is You saw him here, too. Introduce him. Introduce Goldberg. Goldberg, come on out. I don't know, maybe he is here. It'll be interesting to see if the man's here. Well, Lee, that's his music. Well, in the past, we've seen Jericho bring out, shall we say, the, the mini Goldberg, the honey, I shrunk the Goldberg. You know, the worst thing that could happen to Chris Jericho tonight on Thunder is that Goldberg walks out here. All right, uh, Jericho's demanding a, a, that Nick Patrick count here. The bell is wrong. Let's see where it goes. Come on, Greenberg. The bell has sounded, and we're in the midst of a count here, guys. Come on, the man's not. We... Ring the bell. Ring the bell for what? Uh, I was just saying Nick Patrick signaling ring the bell. Look at, look at. Jericho thinks he's won the match from the Invisible Man. Yeah. He didn't beat Topper. I was going to say, great. Jericho beats Claude Reigns. Zero! The total package Lex Luger swerves the World Wrestling Federation. Probably the defining moment that marked WCW's entry to the Monday Night War was the shocking appearance of the total package Lex Luger. A man who Vince McMahon took at his word of staying with the promotion. When Luger debuted at the first ever edition of WCW Monday Nitro during a match between Sting and Ric Flair, it sent shockwaves through the wrestling industry. The first of many more surprises to come from WCW before dropping the atomic bomb with the formation of the New World Order. This moment really set the stage to say this really means war between the two promotions. No one expected Lex Luger to show up in WCW, especially Vince McMahon. What a moment in professional wrestling history. And even though you can argue Luger didn't have the best career, I think it was Hall of Fame worthy in certain aspects. He did make a mark in this industry. But you can definitely say this moment was one of the greatest moments in WCW history because this declared war between WCW and the WWF. Lex Luger would deliver the first shot in the Monday Night War. I told Lex, don't go to the hotel where everybody else is staying. And don't show up until half an hour before you're supposed to go on the air. And this crowd is live! They are wired! They waited till like 30 minutes before the show started and brought me in with like towels around my head to a back door. They didn't put me in position to go out on television until the moment I walked out.
You kidding me? Luger's there now, too? And everybody was looking at me like, is that Lex Luger? Because I was still on TV and had done a house show the night before with WWE, so everybody was definitely, it was a big shock to everybody. The man they call Vader. Some of you might know Vader as the guy who fell off the apron on his behind on an episode of Monday Night Raw. But before it became really a parody of himself, the late, great Leon White, Big Van Vader, was a monster. Simply put, there was no bigger badass than Big Van Vader. Big, stiff, powerful, muscular, the athletic monster from the Rocky Mountains. Anyone who got in his way was destroyed and was sent to a quote-unquote medical facility for their trouble. Vader was a legend in Japan. And he, had form he really formed an unstoppable tag team with Bam Bam Bigelow and won every single IWGP title in the country. When he stepped foot in WCW, he became a monster heel to end all monster heels. Despite the, his misuse in 1990 through 1991 due to the incoherent booking and instability of the management, in 92 he was given a main event feud with Sting for the WCW World Heavyweight title. From one great match to another, Vader was given another component to his character, an additional manager by the name of Harley Race, and together they did everything they could to win the world title, even going as far as breaking Sting's ribs in the process. At the Great American Bash of 1992, Vader defeated Sting in a hellacious beating after Vader delivered, delivered a vicious powerbomb to become the first man to win a world title from four countries. That's the United States, Mexico, Austria, and Japan. Vader's title reign ended in three weeks, but his rage grew stronger than ever. No one could escape the Mastodon's wrath. Vader crippled Ron Simmons' shoulders, destroyed Nikolai Volkov's neck, and broke wrestler Joe Thurman's back. Vader was once again the world champion. Vader and Sting were engaged in another series of awesome matches, culminating at Super Brawl 3 in a strap match, which saw Vader winning the match, ending their intense feud for now. From there on in, the Rocky Mountain Grizzly Bear would continue to dominate World Championship Wrestling. Then he entered into a feud with an unknown wrestler to him at the time named Cactus Jack. Challenged by Mick Foley in early 1993, Vader beat the hell out of Cactus by shattering his nose, pummeling his face with 27, with 27 stitches, and giving him a concussion. In their rematch, Vader powerbombed Jack on the concrete floor, which shocked the fans into thinking that he was actually dead. It spread throughout wrestling fans, who even went as far as trying to find Foley's home phone number to see if he was okay. Mick was put into the, uh, the, the notorious 
lost in Cleveland storyline, where he suffered a bad case of amnesia and then got his title shot at Vader in Halloween Havoc of 93 in a Texas death match. One of the great brawls you'll ever see, Vader defeated Jack in a hellacious war. You know, Mick is, he's gotta be the most courageous man I've ever, ever met. Uh, good friend, he's came out publicly for me and recently, and I love him to death, but he, uh, you know, the, the, the bumps he took with The Undertaker on the cage is just, I mean, it's, it's you know, it, for me to sit here and say that it's off the chart, it's like from a 1 to 10, it's a 12. It doesn't even do those bumps justice. It's like 20. For him to take that bump off the top rope, you know the one bump where he, he was on the corner of the cage and Undertaker threw him off, and he just kind of off of one leg off the top of that cage, he, he rotated and landed kind of on his shoulder and back, well, what if he had rotated just a little bit, nosedived? Yeah. You know, and he hits his shoulder, and but he hits his head at the same time, he's dead. And so it wasn't just the fact that he took those bumps. I mean, probably some good athleticism, the reason he's alive. And then the one through the cage, one straight down through. And, you know, he's, my God, he's, anyone, and let me get to me real quick. But the one, I remember he had a tooth. Well, the tooth had fell out and was in his nose. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, I mean, really, things we did, I mean, I powerbombed him on the cement. And I'm telling you, I, I, he was a big dude at this time. He, you know, he's lost some weight. He's lost 100 pounds. Yeah. And that's kind of... Why you know, doing yeah. Well, he, he did it, you know, through Diamond, through Dallas Page, Diamond Dallas Page. And uh, he went down there and got some advice and... I started out with him and then, you know, went on his own. Because, you know, you can't just, you can't stay down there for six months in his house. So, you know, you have to, you know, you, you get started with him and then you go away and you have to do it on your own. But uh, certainly D Diamond is the catalyst of, of that. And he looks great. You saw him on Monday Night Raw just the other night. But, uh, I mean, I powerbombed him. He was probably 350 pounds and I knew he'd be a load. So I mean, I really grunted and I got him up pretty high, and man, he splatted on that cement. I, but looking back, you go, well, you know, all that just even the power bomb on the cement tells by comparison from taking that bump off the top. It's like, so. And what was your reaction when he lost his ear in that match? That wasn't anything to do with your fault. His ear was caught in the cables, but. But you know, it was caught in the cables and it was tore off. And my hand did rip it off finally, but it was, I think it was partially torn and. I tore it off the rest of the way. I think that'd be fair to say. Um, you know, at first I was shocked, and then I thought, you know, hell, Mick <laughs> Foley—he didn't blink an eye. So I'm, you know, I'm like, shit. You know, is he gonna stop, or what are we gonna do? He just lost his ear. And <laughs> the funny part was, uh, Mick's going, you know, hit me, man, hit me. So his ear was bleeding. So you know, my clubs that I, you know, those big clubs I use. So I hit him, man, it, it just, whatever was left out there just flew. So I hit it, man, it just, rest of it, there's a little chunk left on there and it just flew off. And uh, blood everywhere. And the ref went over, he saw where the, the, the initial part of the ear fell off. And he went and grabbed it. He came over to the both of us and says, here's your ear, Foley. <laughs> I think I kicked the ref in the stomach and said, 
drop it, we'll get it later. God, we're in no match. What do you want us to do with that damn tear? <laughs> we should have stopped the match and went, oh, God, that's interesting. Oh, I'm getting tired. It's a punch truck. Then moved on to feud with Ric Flair at Starcade of 93, in which we discussed earlier. Despite turning Flair's face into dog meat, he was toppled at the end. Still, 1992 through 93 was the pinnacle of Vader's career as a professional wrestler, going from a dominantly monstrous heel to being one of the most fearful champions WCW ever had. The late, great Leon White, one of the greatest monsters in WCW history. Me personally, that mask with the horns, that bull mask and the horns and the smoke scared the daylights out of me. With the recent passing of Big Van Vader, we pay our respects at one of, if not the greatest big man in WCW history. Not only is Big Van Vader the most awesome athlete World Championship Wrestling has ever seen at 6'5", 450 pounds, but back on December 30th in Baltimore, he became for the second time the heavyweight champion of the world. Here's an athlete that's held titles all over the world, and now he is the world heavyweight champion once again. But the athlete Big Van Vader goes further than that. Take a look at his background. High school, college All-American at Colorado. Played professional football for the Los Angeles Rams, but your right. athletic background goes That's back to right. inner city in L.A. That's right, Mr. Schiavone. You want to talk about football a minute? We can talk about football. I've been an All-American since I've been a baby boy growing up at the Pop Warner rinks in inner city L.A. High school All-American, two-time All-American at the University of Colorado, a four-year letterman, four-year starter. Played in the Hula Bowl, the Japan Bowl, the East-West Shrine game. First-round draft pick to the Los Angeles Rams, and it all ended up with that. The end all for football, the Super Bowl ring. But that was then and that's over. This is the gold we're talking about now. The most important gold in the world today, the WCW Heavyweight Championship. And that's man that it belongs to is Big Van Vader. When you talk about the gold, you have to talk about the contenders, the men after the gold. And the first man that comes to mind, one of the first men that comes to mind, is Sting, former world heavyweight champion. What about Sting? Stinger! Are you looking at me, brother? <laughs> Are all the little stingers disappointed? Have they gone to the funeral yet? Because it's over, brother. You know what? I'm wearing the gold, and that's something I know you want. That's something you once had. But guess what? You got something that I want. And that's the king of cable. Yeah. You want a rematch thing? I think there's, I think me and Mr. Race can accommodate you anytime and any place. And next time, Mm -hmm. Yeah, next time. Ron Simmons, we talk about being an All-American, being a great athlete. Here's a man with a great athletic background as well, the man you defeated recently for that World Heavyweight title. What about the former champion then? Tell you what, you know, you got to give credit where credit's due. Ron Simmons, big, powerful man. Uh, Three-time All-American from Florida State University. And, uh, you know, Ron... You, uh, you took the belt. No, let me say this. You stole the belt from me in Baltimore. I trained for Sting, and Ron Simmons showed up. That's like George Foreman training for Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier showing up. Was that justice? No. Was that fair? No. You got lucky. But Vader gathered himself, didn't he? And he came back man to man, face to face, 
I met you where it all happened, where it all began in Baltimore. And the real man walked out with the gold, brother. So yeah, you want a shot? You want one more time to prove yourself? Come on, bring it on, Mr. Simmons. You want this gold, you better come ready, because I'm ready to fight. Harley Race is your mentor with Harley Race is your mentor. What are the plans for Big Van Vader now as world heavyweight champion? Well, the plan is simple, Tony. Let me say this before I give you my plan. Mr. Race, seven-time world champion. He's been down this road once or twice, hasn't he? He really has? Right? Yes, sir. He's the only man I've ever taken advice from in the squared circle. And Mr. Race and myself, we've devised a plan for me to be the longest reigning world champion in the history of the WCW. Because we all know Fader, he fears no man, and he feels no pain. Yeah. He is the world heavyweight champion, Big Van Vader. The Outsiders make an impact. No WCW Greatest Moments list can be complete without the impact of Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. And the impact they made in WCW and the wrestling industry in general. No one can deny how much these men contributed to the success of WCW back in 1996. It was like an ordinary Nitro as Sting wrestled Ric Flair when Scott Hall made his presence felt by walking through the crowd and into the ring that featured a regular match with Mike Enos. When Scott Hall entered the ring, WCW would never be the same again. Welcome back live to the first hour of this edition of WCW Monday Nitro on TNT. Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco. And we are taking a look at the mauler completely maul his opponent, Steve Dahl. Well, you know, Steve, Steve Dahl was trying to get an offensive going. Wait a minute. But what the, what the hell but is what? going on here? But the mauler, well, he just got reversed right there. Oh, the mauler about. runs him down. What are you talking about? Look, look here. Well, What's what the on? hell? Wait a minute. Give me a mic. What's with this? Wait, we need security here. Hi. Are we? I have no idea. Hey. Wait a minute. I can't believe it. I can't believe what I'm seeing. You people. What's with him? You know who I am. But you don't. Know why I'm here. Are we gonna get security here? Where is billionaire Ted? Where is the nacho man? That punk can't even get in the building. Me, I go wherever I want, whenever I want. Listen, we And where, oh, where is Scheme Gene? Because I got a scoop for you. When that Ken doll lookalike, when that weatherman wannabe comes out here later tonight, I got a challenge for him for Billionaire Ted, for the Nacho Man, and for anybody else in uh, WCW. <laughs> hey, you want to go to war? You want a war? 
you're going to get one. What about the match? I don't know what to say. Randy Anderson's coming. Randy? Randy, what's going on here? What about the match, Randy? What, what, what's going? The match is, match, fans, we got to go to a break. I, the match left. I have no idea what to say. Stay with us. Jeez. WCW, and the only way to do that is you gotta kick people's butts. You gotta make enemies. All right, all right, all right. Hey, looky here. You wanted Kindle, you got such a big mouth, and we, we are sick of it. What do you mean? Who's me? You know who. Hey, this is where the big boys play. What a joke. I tell you what, you go tell billionaire Ted, you tell him get three of his very, very best. Maybe, uh, maybe the Nacho Man. Oh, no. And maybe, maybe he get the Stinger. Ooh, I'm so scared. You go get anybody you want, because we... What do you mean, we? We are taking over. You want to go to war? You want a war? You got one. Only, only let's do it right. In the ring, where it matters. Not on no microphones. Not in no newspapers or dirt sheets. Let's do it in the ring where it matters. If, uh, if billionaire Ted and his big boys, if they got any, uh, any guts, because we are coming down here. You're stepping over the line. And like it or not, not. we are taking over. A couple of weeks later, Hall was joined by Kevin Nash as Nash grabbed Bischoff and told WCW that they were not here to play. As their slogan stated, they were here to take over. Jumping shifts is hardly new today, jumping from one promotion to another or later on in the Monday Night Wars, but back then, it was a big-time move for these two to leave the WWF, moving over to WCW. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Look, I don't want any trouble with you. I don't want any trouble with you here now. But I have to point out, you came out here last week. Where is it? The big surprise. I mean, I heard a lot of talk. But where's the walk? What? I'm here. Where is he? You've been sitting out here for six months running your mouth. 
This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective, play. We ain't here to play. Now he said last week that he was gonna bring somebody out here. I'm here. You still don't have your three people. And you know why? Because nobody wants to face us. This show's about as interesting as Marge Schott reading excerpts from Mein Kampf. No trouble here tonight, Speak your piece and Yeah, no trouble, because you know I'll kick your teeth down your throat. Where's your three guys? You what, you couldn't get a paleontologist to get a couple of these fossils cleared? You ain't got enough guys off a dialysis machine to get a team? Yeah, where's Hogan? Where's Hogan? Out doing another episode of Blunder in Paradise? Where's the macho man, huh? Doing some Slim Jim commercial? Hey, we're here. You want to say something? Look, I don't have the authority right here, right now. You want to fight? Fight is it with me. You want three guys? Tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, I'm going to be in Atlanta. I'll be in the offices of WCW. I'll try and get you your fight. And you know what? Live this Sunday in Baltimore, Great American Bash. You guys want to show up? You want to fight? You show up. I'll see if I can get you your fight. I don't know about you, but hey, they love us in Baltimore. Hey, hey Big Man, I say me and you, we'd be at the Bash. Maybe these punks want to fight. Yeah. I'll be there. Bring what you got. The measuring stick just changed around here, buddy. You're looking at it. Back then, it was a big deal, as Hall and Ash were part, uh, a big part of the WWF, and their proclamation of an invasion had audiences believe that they were not only actual WWF employees in a WCW show, which was untrue, of course, as Hall and Ash left in the spring of 96 to move over for a more lucrative deal with WCW, but... Their presence had others believe that other WWF wrestlers were leaving the company to take over WCW. One notorious rumor was that Shawn Michaels was going and making the jump over to WCW. And some thought even WCW was trying to coax Bret Hart, but both stayed. Although the latter left for WCW a year later for different reasons of which we know. One notable incident that really made the mark initially on this invasion was when Kevin Nash powerbombed Eric Bischoff off the stage at the Great American Bash of 1996. The idea of a wrestler physically assaulting a wrestling company owner or leader slash president was rare at the time. Just witnessed when Roddy Piper accidentally hit Vince McMahon with a chair in the fall of 91 or Austin stunning McMahon at Madison Square Garden in Raw of 97. And look how people reacted then. These surprising turn of events would serve as the precursor of the heel turn that changed wrestling forever. Hall and Ash changed wrestling forever. Hall changed WCW on that one very night. 
claiming they were taking over, which led to the biggest heel turn in professional wrestling history as Hulk Hogan became Hollywood Hogan, joining Hall and Ash to form the NWO. We'll discuss this storyline in extent along with the entire Monday Night War in a separate season of Beyond the Bell, focusing solely on the history of WCW versus the WWF during the Monday Night War era. Nevertheless, The Outsiders made an impact and has to be on any list a part of WCW's greatest gems. Hulk Hogan. When it comes to the, the, the aspect of drawing money, like what works, I mean, he has a steadfast, but he also, went, he had gotten stagnated, and then, like, being with Scott and I, like, we kind of gave him, like, our opinion, he took our opinion and put it with his opinion, and it kind of changed him a little bit, not a lot, but I think that, you know, it, that transition from, from, from those, like, from that character to Hollywood to that in-between character, like, he went out and stole WrestleMania with Rock, yeah. stole WrestleMania with Vince. I mean, he, he stole some, he stole, like, several big shows, you know, and it was, it was him. It was Hulk doing that. I don't think this can be overstated enough. I've talked to you on camera about it. I talked to Bischoff about it. There's no earthly reason that Hulk Hogan, the Hulk Hogan I grew up with, the only Hulk Hogan that anybody knew in 1995 or whatever, three, whatever, was the the big, overblown, overblown promos uh, to the point of unbelievable, maybe, because that's, you know, we need cartoons in, in the right. 80s. There's no earthly reason that Hulk Hogan should have succeeded in the model of what the NWO was. No. No way that that square peg should have went in the round hole. Yet it did. And he was able to run with that. And phase two of Hogan's career. But they also did a good job. They did a really good job. The first first time we went down to cut NWO uh, promos, we went down there. And Scott and I have always just talked in sound bites. And we do it. Hey, bro. We're going back and forth being chill. And Hogan just went on like a five-minute rant, and he every time we every time the ball was in his court, he just brother, brother, let me tell you, brother, let me tell you, son, brother, brother. So we got done for like the first two hours, and we went out, and there was a a picnic bench out there. And I looked at Scott, and I said, "Dude," and he looked at me like we're like we're looking at each other like this is not gonna fucking work. So Eric, who's very fucking smart was like, walked out there like, he goes, we can make this work. He goes, edit-wise, we can make this work. Right. And they did that. They So they just sound but those black and white interviews. Then when Hogan went out there, they, they he started to modify what he was doing to the point where it was, you know, he, he did a lot more talking and a lot less brothering. One could tell that it was trimmed to be favorable. But something I always saw that I, I don't even know if it's true, I never asked anybody, was the decision to go black and white, shaky, grainy, distracting. Was it to kind of put a haze 
over the, the face oh, yeah, and all that shit that Hogan was doing. Yeah, was yeah. the decision made after filming? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Good decision. I think Neil Pruitt had a lot to do. Neil Pruitt had a lot of things. That's a name that will never get enough credit for that era of, of pro wrestling was Neil Pruitt. Huh. He came up with the logo. He came up with the new world. That's him, that's him saying new world order, order, order on that music. That yeah. was him. Like he had, a, he, he did a lot of really innovative. He was very, you know, he was, he was, he was important to the company. Eric Bischoff. Eric Bischoff is, he, when you lay something out to him, he has to be able to, he, like, you have to lay it out like you're looking at a television. He's completely visual. If you can lay it out for him, and he's and, he, and as you lay it out, he's looking at it and seeing it happen. He he he'll 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 know like okay yeah that's money or that blows. If you like shoot it from on top and do the specifics of you know the the, the moves and all that, he he just wants the like what is what are you guys trying to do here? What's the concept? Mm. But there were so many things that we did. Like I thought when we wrote, when we you know took the Steiners and, and turned their car over. Like my idea for that angle was that the Steiners would press, would press charges. Like they didn't, they, so, and like people bought that on that Saturday afternoon show. Right. And it would it'd be a case where the, the tape that, that X-Pac had in his video was the only tape of it. That goes into the, the, the uh, evidence mm -hmm. and we go in and it's back and forth and it's the artist renditions of the Steiners on the stands and have like the CN they used the CNN people to say this court case is going on and finally when it's like timed for the verdict they go to put the tape in and the tape's blank and they turn around the guy that's in the property room pills his Atlanta cop thing and there's the NWO Gimmick and it's you, you do eight weeks of TV without touching, go off to another angle, and now you build this thing up with the Steiners who want to kill you. And now you got, I mean, you use, you've got CNN, you use these things around you. Yeah. They got so much shit over what happened on Saturday. On Monday, after they flipped their car, the Steiners came out and kicked the shit yeah. out of us. I'm like, well, what the fuck did we spend five hours shooting that shit for? Well, so all right. So why, why did it happen? Because uh, who is impatient? They just it, if if they got like if any, anybody from the other tower said, "Are you guys killing people over there?" Like the Ray Mysterio dart thing, all that shit. That shit was nixed immediately. Oh no, no, no! There's nothing going on. We'll just move from Disney. This is standards and practices. Uh, People Whoever. or ballless, ballless. When you say the other tower, just explain what you mean. Yeah, I mean them, but they also just they they never wanted wrestling. Right. And God, when when Time Warner when Time Warner got into Turner, that was bad enough. And then when AOL got in, now you right. got a bunch of you know silicon heads. Yeah, you know, that was the beginning of the end. Yeah. Uh, but, I, but I killed it. Ed for because <laughs> I bought I bought AOL. As we conclude part one. I think it's great to wrap it up with the event that resulted from the initial invasion from Hall and Ash. We just mentioned it. Hulk Hogan told the crowd to stick it, brother. And the NWO 
was born. 1996 was a year of surprises and unexpected moments, but nothing could have prepared the world for one of the most legendary hill turns in wrestling history. Taking place in the aftermath of the Outsider's arrival, the two troublemaking invaders from the World Wrestling Federation, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, issued a six-man tag team challenge to Sting, Luger, and Randy Savage at Bash at the Beach, with their mystery partner to be revealed later that night on pay-per-view. During the match, the Outsiders injured Lex Luger, and Lex was taken to the back. This gave many fans the assumption that the mystery partner was Luger himself. I kind of thought that too. But out of nowhere, the immortal Hulk Hogan made his appearance, and fans believed him to take on the Outsiders to join Team WCW to fill in for the total package. What the fans did not expect was something that would shock the wrestling world. Hogan came in the ring and proceeded to leg drop Randy Savage, who was a babyface. Hulk Hogan turning his back on a babyface? Hulk Hogan's a heel? Fans could not believe it. The ring was littered with trash. Hogan shot back at the fans, telling them to stick it, and that he and the Outsiders were the new world order of wrestling, brother. This was the peak of the NWO angle, and it helped propel WCW from an, a number two promotion to the hottest company of the late 90s. If the Outsiders' invasion was the manifesto, then Hulk Hogan's heel turn was the revolution itself. Hulk Hogan is here! Hulk Hogan's here! Hulk Hogan is in the building! You're damn right he is! Go get him, Hulkster! Yeah, but whose side is he on? Go, what are you talking about? Whose side is he on? What are you talking about? Yes, sir! Get him, Hogan! Go get him, baby! Come on and get some of this now. Who's bad now, boys? Hulk Hogan arrived. Hulk, Hulk, Hulk. What is oh he doing? Oh, my God. Is he the third man? He's the third man. What oh. the hell is going on here? Hulk Hogan has betrayed WCW. He is the third man Look in at this. this picture. Oh, my God. What the hell is going on? Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? I Probably the lowest shot ever given to professional wrestling. That man did right there, Hulk Hogan. Let's get everybody out of the dressing room right now and kick his rear end. Unbelievable, brother. You what just have sold I been saying the all devil. these years? How? Huh? What have I been saying all these years? Oh, you human oh my can... God. A career it's, of a lifetime. It's right down the drain, kid. I hope you love it. Can you you see just sold your soul to the devil. See those little holsters with the tears rolling down their face right now? We are not going to even acknowledge that three count. Now what happens to us? What happens now to WCW? There was no three count. I never thought I would say that he's yellow, but he may be wearing red, but he's wearing red and yellow. What do we do now? What a uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, this is a... Unbelievable situation right here at Bash at the Beach. Hulkamania, the third guy with the Outsiders, betrayed WCW. Can't talk. Excuse me. Excuse me. What in the world are you thinking? Me, Gene, the first thing you need to do is to tell these people to shut up if you want to hear what I got to say.
been with you for so many years, for you to join up with the likes of these two men absolutely makes me sick to my stomach. And I think that these people here and a lot of other people around the world have had just about enough of this man, this man, and you want to put yourself in this group, you've got to be kidding me. Well, the first thing you got to realize, brother, is this right here is the future of wrestling. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother. These two men right here came from a great big organization up north, and everybody was wondering who the third man was. Well, who knows more about that organization than me, brother? I've been there, I've done that. You have made the wrong decision, in my opinion. Well, let me tell you something. I made that organization a monster. I made people rich up there. I made the people that ran that organization rich up there, brother. And when it all came to pass, the name Hulk Hogan, the man Hulk Hogan, got bigger than the whole organization, brother. And then billionaire Ted, amigo, he wanted to talk turkey with Hulk Hogan. Well, billionaire Ted promised me movies, brother. Billionaire Ted promised me millions of dollars. And billionaire Ted promised me world caliber matches. And as far as billionaire Ted goes, Eric Bischoff and the whole WCW goes, I'm bored, brother. That's why these two guys here, the so-called outsiders, these are the men I want as my friends. They're the new blood of professional wrestling, brother. And not only are we gonna take over the whole wrestling business with Hulk Hogan and the new blood, the monsters with me, we will destroy everything in our path, Mean Gene. Look at all of this crap in this ring. This is what's in the future for you if you wanna hang around the likes of this man Hall and this man Nash. As far as I'm concerned, all of this crap in the ring represents these fans out here. For two years, brother, for two years, I held my head high. I did everything for the charities. I did everything for the kids. And the reception I got when I came out here, you fans can stick it, brother. Because if it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, you people wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, Eric Bischoff would be still selling meat from a truck in Minneapolis. And if it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, all these Johnny-come-latelys that you see out here, wrestling wouldn't be here. I was selling out the world, brother, while they were bumming gas to put in their car to get to high school. So the way it is now, brother, with Hulk Hogan, and the New World Organization of Wrestling, brother. Me and the New Blood by my side. What you gonna do 
when the New World Organization runs wild on you. What you gonna do? What are you hey, gonna don't do? Don't touch me, I'm gonna free the lawyers. You're listening to the Retro Wrestling Podcast, Beyond the Bell. You can listen to Beyond the Bell on iTunes, Player.fm, the SNS Radio Network, Podbay.fm, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and our official website, btbcast.com. Connect socially on Facebook and Twitter at btbcast. Watch retro videos on our official YouTube channel, btbcast network. Questions, comments, and suggestions can be sent to contact at btbcast.com go old school with beyond the bell that was just some of the greatest gems in wcw history we'll be back on our next edition covering part two of this series looking back at another 10 greatest gems wrapping up the first season of beyond the bell focusing in on world championship wrestling We'll look back at Cactus Jack and the Nasty Boys, Arn Anderson's retirement, Pillman and Sullivan, Rick Rue, Goldberg, and of course, more Nature Boy. All this and more as we wrap up the history of WCW, focusing in on some of the greatest and hidden gems in its history. All audio for tonight's edition brought to you by the WWE Network, YouTube, Dailymotion, and HighSpots.com. I want to hear from you fans. You let me know some of your greatest matches moments, and memories of World Championship Wrestling. I'm so excited to wrap up the first season of Beyond the Bell next week with the final installment of The Greatest Gems, the final episode of the season, as we close the book on World Championship Wrestling and we look ahead to Season 2 of Beyond the Bell as we open up the Stone Cold Chronicles. So much coming up in Beyond the Bell. Thank you for joining us, and I look forward to wrapping up WCW next week until then this is your old school ring announcer sean beckerman signing off thanks for listening to beyond the bell remember to stay old school my friends